Take a Kiss will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For him I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Good morning. Uh, Welcome to Midlands Church. My name is Ian Franklin. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and I am proud to be one of the pastors here, and I'm also very proud of Asher, my son, who just read that flawlessly, which is crazy. I would guess that most of us in here can't read all those names. Um, He was given some really good advice uh, by um, our good friend Matt, who said, nobody knows how to say those names, so just say them with (laughs) conviction, and you'll convince people that you're saying them right. I think he nailed it. Um, So we're going to continue today uh, in our series and actually wrap up our series called Lord of All, uh, going through through the letter to the Colossians. Uh, This last part is um, entitled in in my Bible, Final Greetings, uh, which makes me sad, Um, but it kind of seemed fitting for my last sermon here uh, before me and my family move in June. Um, So I'm excited to uh, continue through this and close this series and uh, uh, sad to see the end of this season together, but let me pray for us and we will... um, We'll jump in. Lord, I pray that you would um, have your way with this time. Lord, I pray that you would calm my nerves. Lord, that you would uh, enable me to give words that uh, point towards you, that make much of you, that bolster and encourage this church. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for Midlands. Thank you for the individuals here who you have been faithful to um, continue to work in and through. Thank you for the blessing that they've been to me. Thank you for the way that you've invited us into a family, the way that you have um, asked us to live with one another and love one another. Uh, Thank you for how this church um, fights to do that better and better. Lord, I pray that you would um, give clarity to your word through this time. Uh, Lord, and that it would be for each of us a sweet time of worship that we would glorify you in our hearts and seek to do so as we go from here. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So 
This uh, sermon is entitled Grace Be With You, which are the, the last words uh, that Asher just read there, the last words that Paul penned uh, with his own hand uh, in this letter to the Colossians. Um, like I said, this, this last part is a pretty um, familiar thing for us. If we've read through the New Testament a little bit, a lot of uh, Paul's letters end with uh, this kind of greeting. And a lot of times um, I kind of skip through it because it seems like uh, kind of housekeeping items that were pertinent to that time. But I don't know these dudes. I don't know what's going on with them. I don't know who he's trying to uh, pass things on to. Um, but I also uh, sometimes get a little caught up in them because uh, I'm a bit of a, a history nerd and there's like these nuggets of connections for all these different stories and things we've read about in the New Testament where we see somebody's name and we can link it to something else that happened. So there's some cool stuff to, to mine from it there. The thing that really impressed me in preparing for this time was really the kind of the weighty uh, implications of the way that Paul's talking and the people that he's recommending to people, uh, the histories of those people, but then the application for us um, to kind of do likewise. So I'll try to unpack that a little bit. Some of the um, really the three main points that I want to cover today all of the good stuff we can take from this letter, all the good stuff in Paul, all the good stuff. Um, that we can try to apply is because of Jesus, right? And so because of Jesus, there's these three things I wanna focus on. Because of Jesus, we can minister in community, in the community that, that we are in. Uh, because of Jesus, we can be transformed by the gospel. And because of Jesus, we can belong uniquely and fully. So I'm gonna kinda of go uh, chronologically in terms of how Paul wrote this through this. So we'll, we'll jump around a little bit, but. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is ministering in community. Uh, and around that, the purpose of communing with one another is to minister to one another. And I think that in this very opening line, we have um, these, these opening few lines, we have some example there. It doesn't maybe seem like it right away, but we have Tychicus, which is a fun name to say. Uh, Tychicus is uh, called a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant, um, and he's sent for a, for a purpose. The thing that that uh, kind of convicted me of was just looking back on the last week or the last month, um, I was thinking through, okay, how have my uh, interactions with the saints, with the fellow believers around me, how have they been characterized? What has been the purpose of that time spent? Um, and first and foremost, in that time, could I be described as a beloved brother? Could I be uh, known to them as someone who's faithful uh, to minister the gospel to those people? Um, would I be somebody that they would count a fellow servant, right? So that's tough. That is, uh, for me, um, uh, very convicting, uh, very challenging, because I know there's a lot of times when I hang out with you people or uh, other believers, and I just enjoy myself and just have fun, and, and I don't think that that's bad, but I think there's a lot of opportunities that I have kind of just punted or, or just not taken a, uh, advantage of where I could have told the truth. I could have encouraged hearts, which is what Tychicus is sent to do. Um, it says that, uh, or Paul says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So he's, he's going to tell them the facts on the ground, right? He's, he's kind of transmitting current events from what's going on with Paul. Um, but the big picture of what's going on with Paul is, is what the Lord is doing, what the mission of God is and how it's going. Um, so he's coming to tell them 
what God's doing. Uh, and I think likewise, we are to take every opportunity that we're together to tell and remind each other of what God has done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. Um, and then also do that in a way that encourages one another. So hearing the truth should be an encouragement to us. Sometimes it feels heavy. Um, I think the reason that this is critically important to us is because of the age in which we live. Okay. Now, I'm going to talk about our age, but this, these are things that are true regardless of the time period. Okay? The age that they lived in at this time, it was critical that they be reminded of the truth and that they be encouraged uh, in their hearts. Um, I want to read, though, a quote from G.K. Chesterton. Uh, he's talking about something called, uh, that he refers to as chronological snobbery. Okay, and what that is, it's not a new thing, but especially, uh, obviously, because G.K. Chesterton talked about it, and he's been dead for a long time. But um, every age uh, looks back on ages past and kind of sneers, kind of has a little bit of disdain for the things they didn't get that we now get because we have, um, we're we're here and we're better because of the time that we live or something. But this is a common thing. This is a thing that's prevalent now, that the things of the past are looked down upon because they're in the past, and we now have this special, better information somehow. Chesterton says, what a man can believe depends on his philosophy, not upon the clock or the century. He goes on to say, like, looking back, uh, looking down on past ages is like saying, well, you can believe that in the 12th century, but not the 21st century. Or um, he says it's, it's similar to saying, um, you can hold that view at 3 p.m., but not 4 p.m. Um, the passage of time does not change eternal truths. Does that make sense? Uh, he goes on to say, these are the days when the Christian is expected to praise every creed except his own. That is true. That was true of Chesterton's time. That was true of the early church's time. That is true of our time today. And it's because we live in a fallen, antagonistic world. And we are consistently and constantly inundated with the lies of this world and promises of something other than what God has for us. And because of that, and because of our uh, fluency in that language, Right, our immediate ability to understand and adopt that way of thinking, um, we need constant reminders. This is why we need to have our times together um, characterized by uh, remembering and reminding and encouraging one another's hearts. The friction of the difference between the age in which we live and the truth of God's promises um, requires that we be encouraged because it's discouraging. That difference between the two, that stark uh, difference, is, uh, can be jarring, especially when you uh, don't realize how much you just adopt because you're around it, right? So much that's just learned just from being in the age that we're in. Um, so when we hear the truth, sometimes it takes us a while to, to accept it um, because we're kind of baptized into this world instead. So we need the saints around us to remind us, to encourage our hearts, and we need to be about that work. We need to be focused on the times that we have together um, as opportunities to remind. Um, and I think the biggest way that we can prepare ourselves to do that is to uh, bathe ourselves in the word. Right? to actually be uh, fluent in God's language. Um, that takes regular reading. For a long time in my life, I looked down on that idea. Uh, I didn't like the idea of um, 
having a regular time of reading the Word because uh, there aren't many books I've read twice, right? And I read the Bible twice. I get it, right? I've read it. I, I know that book. Um, but the reality is the, the eroding effect of the time in which we live undoes a lot of what we're reading in the Bible. The Holy Spirit, thankfully, is consistent to recall things, bring things up, but I want to be in the way of the scriptures, right? I want to be uh, putting myself in the path of, um, like when you learn a new language, immersion is a big piece, right? And without regular time spent and dedicated to study and learn the scripture, we're not immersing ourselves in that particular language. When we do, though, that's the language that we speak. That's what we start to um, answer the world's lies with, and it's what we start to encourage one another with when we have time together. Does that make sense? So we must remember and remind, and we must encourage one another's hearts. Um, the transformative power of the gospel might not be like readily apparent when you just read through these scriptures, uh, these verses, and just kind of read them at face value. But when you look at the links and the history behind some of the characters mentioned, there's two really awesome cases here. Uh, the first is of Onesimus. Um, if you got to participate in the men's or women's Bible studies this year, you got to go through Philemon, and you know the name Onesimus well. Onesimus would have been well known to the people who are hearing this letter read um, and not well liked, right? He was a slave of somebody who was well-liked. Philemon was a wealthy man who had many slaves and was a host of one of the churches in the city, well-respected, well-loved, and Onesimus was a slave of his and left. He not only left, he stole from Philemon and fled like a coward. And for them, he would have been rightly considered a thief. He would have been looked down upon even before he left just as, a, as a slave. He wouldn't have been highly regarded. Um, and now, because of what he did to their friend Philemon, he would have been hated by many. And what Paul introduces him as is faithful, beloved brother, and one of you. Okay, so he takes the thief and calls him faithful, the hated calls him beloved, and the lowly or the scorned he calls one of you. This is not because Onesimus... Um, did a certain amount of things that were helpful to Paul and he earned his favor. Uh, this is not because um, he said sorry uh, and wanted to go back home. This is because of the work of Jesus to forgive sins and to call a diverse people to himself um, and change them. And so when Paul's saying these things, he's not just um, trying to speak something good into existence, right? And he's not, um, he's not papering over something or lying. He's telling the truth about Onesimus. So it's kind of sticky, though, because we know it's true that he was a thief. Uh, we know it's true that he was looked down upon and that these people probably had good reason to really not like him. Um, but when Paul calls him faithful, beloved brother, one of you, he's telling the truth about this new creation that is Onesimus, right? He's telling the truth about the new creation that we each are. Um, Jacob had talked about this, this mystery, and there's a ton of mystery in this because we can probably assume that Onesimus was not only characterized from this point on by being faithful and beloved and one of them, right? Uh, just like we probably aren't always characterized by those things, we often uh, fall short of that. We often wrong each other. Uh, we're thieves in different ways, and um, we grieve each other regularly. Um, but we are freed from that behavior 
in totality, right? That does not have to be where we stay. And because of Jesus, it isn't. He's faithful to continue this good work he started. And now people, other people can say about us, yeah, he's a faithful and beloved brother. He's one of us, even though we've got all those flaws and faults at the same time. So it's a, this beautiful picture of Onesimus now being uh, included in this group. And then you have um, Mark. First, uh, there's a mention of Aristarchus. We'll, we'll get into that in just a minute. But um, Paul says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. So he's clearly uh, recommending Mark to them, saying if he comes there, bring him in, you know, welcome him, um, which is particularly interesting uh, when you know uh, the story of Mark, of his travel and experience with Paul, uh, and specifically Paul and Barnabas. If you go back to uh, Acts uh, 13, 13 through 14, um, you see that uh, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas were on their second missionary journey and uh, had taken a boat to a place. So There's a lot of cities with names that started with P's. And then um, I, I'll have to have Asher read them later. But, um, but so they get to this new place and uh, Mark bails. Um, he's also referred to as John. Quick little footnote. We have a lot of instances throughout the New Testament where people are referred to as two different names. Um, a lot of times we get caught up with, uh, like, Paul, that part of his conversion story was to have his name changed from Saul to Paul. That's not true. I don't know if you guys know that. But uh, Saul was always Saul. He was always Paul. It's depending on who his audience was, okay? So there were names adopted for Hebrew people when you were around Hebrews, and when you were in a Hellenistic culture or a Greek culture, you had a different name. So Saul was always Saul, and he was always Paul, depending on the crowd he was with. Does that make sense at all? So John Mark, was he was John in some circumstances. He was Mark in other circumstances. And uh, so when in this, I think in Acts, he's actually referred to as John at one point, and then Mark another point, uh, same guy. So he bails on them. He leaves this missionary journey and heads back to Jerusalem. Uh, we know earlier in Acts, uh, he was well regarded because he, uh, I guess he lived with his mom and he let people use his mom's house, which I guess is cool. It's nice uh, for prayer and different things like that. But, and then he got to tag along with his cousin Barnabas on this missionary journey. But then he said, I'm out. I got to go back. A lot of different ideas about why he may have begged out of this, uh, this journey. None of them are really good reasons, though, for the most part. Everybody looks at that and says, yeah, that, he made the wrong call. He, he abandoned his brothers that he was on a mission with. And Paul did not like that. Uh, I'm guessing Barnabas didn't either. But Paul and Barnabas finish this missionary trip. They come back to Jerusalem. Uh, they're there for a few days, and Paul says, hey, let's go back. Let's go back to everywhere we went and remind them and encourage them and, and be with them. And Barnabas says, great, sounds awesome. Let's take Mark. And Paul says, him? Um, that's a paraphrase. But uh, Paul does say, why? Why would we take Mark? Um, and his reasoning is, why would we take a brother who abandoned us on our last trip? And if you go to uh, Acts 15, 36 through 41. <clears throat> I'm just going to read through this real quick. Uh, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had gone with them and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, 
and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So there's a lot there that I just absolutely love. One of those things is Luke doesn't shy away from conflict within the church. Okay, Luke doesn't paper over it. He could have said um, Barnabas thought it would be cool to go with Mark, and so he went. And Paul split up. You know, they divide and conquer. Um, but he he says it like it is. There's a sharp disagreement and enough of a disagreement that they went completely different directions, that they didn't continue in the work that they had to do together. Um, we don't see uh, a nice, uh, tidy conclusion to that. We see them go away from each other. And that's very different for us. Um, if you read the, um, uh, was it The Hope of Glory, the Sam Storms um, book that goes ar- along with Colossians, uh, he talks about um, how we as Christians look at, at uh, conflict. And so something I just wanted to confront us with because of this example we have, do we immediately write off uh, any conflict as maybe a lack of the Holy Spirit or a lack of maturity or um, maybe a mark of, maybe that guy's not really a believer. Uh, Sam Storm said, what if we saw something that could be described the same way as a sharp disagreement that people then just leave each other? What if we saw that in... um, I was going to say the foyer of the church, like the, the hot pit over there, um, <laughs> or just in the church. Like after church, we heard people arguing about something, not a sin issue, right? Barnabas is saying, let's give him another chance. Let's extend some grace. Paul is saying, let's exercise some more wisdom than that and be more careful about this, this missionary journey. They have different reads on this, and they, and they go their separate ways. I say that to say... I don't know that we as a church are great at, at dealing with conflict and being okay with it and actively trusting the Lord with those situations, okay? And I think we're invited to do that and we're enabled to do that by the transformative uh, power of the gospel. Our hope is not in winning an argument. Our hope is not in persuading somebody to our side. Uh, our hope is in the finished work of the cross and our charge is to maintain the unity that we've been given to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit. And that unity is not threatened by a momentary conflict. I think it's really critical, though, for us to keep in mind that we don't know the end of the story, okay? We don't know the way that it will resolve or not resolve, okay? In in Mark's uh, situation, we see that it created this huge rift between Barnabas and Paul, right? And we don't have an explicit telling of how it actually came back together, but we have Mark here recommended by Paul to these believers. And we see uh, in 2 Timothy 4.11 that Paul, in his last days, uh, is writing to Timothy and says, can you send Mark? He will be a huge help to me, right? So this isn't um, making nice. This isn't like doing the Christianly thing uh, to, to make everybody feel like things are okay. This is true reconciliation and restoration to the point where Paul desires to have Mark around him, recommends him to others, and tells people he is a comfort to me. So very different picture of how people relate, uh, something that might have been a, a big um, uh, conflict for years and years uh, is something that's resolved because the ultimate thing is is the Holy Spirit that binds them and they come back uh, together. So I think for us, we have to confront how am I at conflict? Do I, um, am I transformed by the gospel even in the way that I have conflict with people? Um, or am I trying to get mine? Am I trying to uh, win or 
protect my honor, or whatever it is, whatever the situation dictates. Uh, where is my hope? Is it in the restoration um, with a saint, or is it with uh, winning an argument? I think that's something that we can practice in a ton of different areas and probably need the practice on. Uh, it's something that I have kind of always been drawn to, is conflict, which I don't think is a good thing. I just think usually for me it's like an arrogant, prideful, uh, gross thing. Um, but it's a thing that when Jesus is present in those times, uh, in my mind, when I've done the work of remembering and reminding, even in those times, encouraging the heart of somebody I have conflict with, it's a very different picture. So I think we're invited into that. In every aspect of our lives, we're invited to uh, remember the transformative power of the gospel that turns the economy that we're used to on its head uh, and changes all the rules um, so that we're not um, stuck in those situations. Because of this transformation, uh, we can and do belong uniquely and fully to a new people, right? There are many different parts of one body. Uh, they're very necessary, uh, those different parts. And not only are they necessary, the differences are necessary. In this list that Paul lays out here, he gives concrete evidence to support the many things that he said throughout this letter. Uh, specifically in Colossians 3.11, when he says, <clears throat> Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So he gives these different, he, he talks about all these different people. He's got Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, who were uh, of the circumcision, as he says. These were Jews who were called fel, uh, faithful ministers. They were called comforters of his. Uh, he lists Tychicus, Onesimus, Epaphras, Nympha, who were Greeks or Gentiles, uh, and they were faithful ministers. They were fellow servants. Um, so he's, he's been saying these old divisions don't apply, and then he's showing it even in the way he um, greets these people and sends greeting and recommends uh, people to the church. Uh, Epaphras, he spends a good amount of time talking about Epaphras and his different particular gifting and his particular ministry. He's a vigilant prayer. He's praying on behalf of these people. Um, it seems that he's struggling uh, on their behalf. And he wants, and to the point that Paul has taken notice and wants to bear witness to them about the work that he's doing on their behalf. Um, you know, obviously he's sent different people different places. He's given people different tasks. Um, and he spends probably the majority of the words here on Epaphras, who seems to be just somebody who prays well, who prays diligently. And so I think it's important for us as uh, fellow believers to recognize that people have different gifts and can minister in different ways uh, and in different contexts. The thing that I think should, we should not be um, unclear about is they're all ministering, okay? So yes, they're all different. Nobody's gonna minister exactly the same as anybody else, but these guys are all about the ministry, okay? Um, and I think that's probably the, the place where we err, where we say, well, I'm not, I'm not an evangelist. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Or, um, you know, I'm not, I don't know if anybody would say it out loud, but I'm not a hospitable person. Or um, whatever it is, whatever thing you disqualify yourself from some service, a lot of times we rightly recognize we don't have a particular gift, but then we quickly err on the side of excusing ourselves from all ministry, right? Instead of saying, okay, what? What is the thing I can press into? What is the thing I can adopt and own uh, and care for the church in? 
Um, but in, in laying out this diverse group of people, um, Paul is making very clear that the saints, the church of Jesus, is not burdened by the cultural distinctions of the day, okay? Especially in talking about Nympha. She's a faithful hostess. She's a, a woman who probably wouldn't have been recognized in like an official letter like this in any other circle. Um, but Paul makes a point to say, what you might have looked down upon, you don't anymore. Just like Onesimus was a lowly slave, he's a brother. Nympha is someone to be uh, admired and um, emulated. She's doing good work, and it's enough good work that it has made it to Paul, and he wants to make sure, hey, make sure this letter gets to her. She needs to hear this and share this with the church that meets at her house. Um, so the cultural distinctions of the day are no more, right? They're set aside. Uh, and I think it's important for us to understand that's the same today, okay? So the cultural distinctions that we might say, well, look, it's 2018, this is, this is just the way it is. Not true, okay? The way that um, Jesus tells us to be as a people is still the truth. Just like Chesterton's talking about, it doesn't change with time or the, um, there's a bunch of great uh, foreign words that we use for this kind of thing, but the, the cultural milieu or um, zeitgeist, as great German words are awesome. Um, <clears throat> but understanding that the, whatever we feel or see around us in the, uh, in the culture, that doesn't dictate uh, how we operate. It doesn't dictate how we think clearly about how we're supposed to relate. Um, and so we have to recognize and embrace and desire to have different people with different gifts ministering in different contexts. Um, and we have to give room for that, but we also have to step into those uh, things. They're all ministering in very different ways, okay? So we don't have, all have to look the same, but we do all have to minister. So for me, simplifying these things is, is often really helpful to be able to say, okay, my time with the saints should be characterized by uh, reminding of the truth and encouraging hearts. Um, but if I'm not careful, what I quickly do is um, kind of make that a legalistic list, like, okay, well, I can do those things, and then I'll be good, right? Um, and so I, I can oversimplify it. Um, but I also can come to it with bad intentions, right? So like when Jesus talks about um, being mindful of the kingdom or worrying about the kingdom of God or participating in the kingdom of God uh, and all these other things will be added unto you, what my uh, wicked and deceitful heart does is say, okay, cool, the way to get all those things is to be about the kingdom of God. So all I got to do is just do that so I can get the thing I really want. And what I've done is made an idol of the, all these things and actually undermined my participation in the kingdom of God. And at the same time as I make little of the participation and service in the kingdom of God, um, I also am really excited about uh, the reward I'll get from recognition for work in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? So I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. People will recognize if I do that work. That'll reflect well on me. And so I'm like stealing some of God's glory in the midst of that thinking, I will at once uh, make that smaller by hoping for the things I'll get out of it and also uh, try to make it mine by looking for the approval of men as you know, th them seeing me as a man of God faithful to do these things. Something, a quote that I found really helpful in kind of disabusing me of both of those sinful intentions is um, from C.S. Lewis, of course. Uh, he says about giving, uh, this, is, this was particular about, about worship, but he says, all our offerings, whether of music or martyrdom, so there's a pretty big swath there, 
are like the intrinsically worthless present of a child, which a father values indeed, but values only for the intention. Okay, so I'm going to read that again. All our offerings, whether of music or martyrdom, are like the intrinsically worthless present of a child, which a father values indeed, but values only for the intention. So this keeps me in check in that, okay, yes, I want to simplify this thing so that I can get the things I want. Um, that's no good. The intentions are wrong, right? So I've got to go back, remind myself of the truth, remind myself of the place that I have before God as not needed, right? He doesn't need anything from us, right? He um, upholds with the power of his word the very mo uh, molecular structure of our bodies, right? Like um, my tongue and teeth being able to say these words is only happening because Jesus is speaking them into existence, right? He doesn't need anything that I can give him. I'm a made, created thing, totally <laughs> useless on my own. But he sees the heart and he can see how I wish and desire to glorify him. And thankfully, he's gracious even in the midst of that. So my wicked and tainted heart is uh, trying to steal glory in the midst of serving him, and he still uh, can accept and redeem those filthy rags that I offer. So uh, knowing that uh, our hearts are constantly working against us, uh, undermining uh, even and tainting our, our intentions, um, we can go back to the word, remind each other of the ultimate truth, and take joy in approaching the Lord as a child, as someone who faithfully gives what we can, um, is introspective about the places that we've done that poorly, uh, repentant of those things, uh, and then dependent on the Father to accept those things uh, with love because he's a good, good father to his children. Um, I have just been incredibly encouraged by this particular passage in seeing some, some simple things, but also the work that it's done to expose, man, I, my heart is so consistently undermining even the things that I chase after that are totally good, that are completely right and in the right direction. Um, Lord, I need you, right? So when confronted with those things, we as a people need to cry out to the Lord, um, confess our sin, uh, and plead with him, knowing that he is faithful to continue the work he started, knowing that he will um, sanctify us through even the reading of final greetings. Um, something that I wanted to read before we go uh, to the communion table, uh, just as I was first considering my last uh, sermon, uh, my last um, days with you guys uh, as a church, I was thinking about myself as, um, as a, you know, like every red-blooded American male, as a young teenager, I had hopes to um, drop out of high school and travel the country talking to different pastors, hoping to encourage them and let them teach me Hebrew so I could move to Israel and preach in synagogues like Paul did out of the Torah, right? Like that old yarn, you know, like, I'm alone. All right. <clears throat> So that, that was the weird kind of kid that I was, and, and I really, that was what I wanted. I, I, I read through the Bible, and I lionized Paul. I idolized him. I thought, this is what I want to be. I want to do what he did, which I think in, in, in large part is good. I think I, I did that in self-serving ways, the way I would think through that. But something I've come to really value and something that's been a cherished gift for me is being able to um, practice preaching um, and do it by talking about what Paul's done and, and talking about the words that Paul wrote down by the Spirit for us and for our good. But something I've, I've come to learn is that all the best things about Paul 
are things that God gave him. Okay? They're not particular to Paul. They're gifts from God. So I, I just want to read through this thing that I wrote just because otherwise I'll, I'll probably just cry. Um, <clears throat> I've always been enamored with uh, Paul's persuasive speech and logical brilliance. His argumentation and ability to know and speak directly to the hearts of his hearers and readers is awesome. But in these last two years, the Lord has seen fit to give me something he gave Paul <clears throat> that I often took for granted. Sorry. <clears throat> He's given me a deep love for the church. For this love to be effective God's glory, uh, for God's glory, it has to be both universal and personal. <clears throat> So I'm so proud to boast in Christ that by the work of his spirit, I love his church and I love each of you so dearly. <clears throat> I can look back with tenderness and thankfulness on all the ways the Lord has allowed me to do this well. Uh, I also look back on all the ways I wish I'd love you better and more. Thanks be to God. He's not done with me or any of you yet. Let me pray for us, and we can share in communion. <clears throat> Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for these people. Thank you that I can call them brothers and sisters. <clears throat> thank you for the way that they have encouraged and challenged and molded me. Thank you, Lord, that I can trust them in your hand. Lord, thank you that I've seen what you've done. Thank you for this season. Lord, would you, um, by your spirit, enable us to understand uh, where we stand before you, understand the sinful areas of our heart. Lord, would you help us to confess, to plead for forgiveness, and to receive that forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. Thank you for what you did to remove our sin and to welcome us into this family. Lord, we praise you. You are wonderful and good and merciful and kind, and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.